Rich and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Happy Saturday to all of you out there listening today. This is Arizona Sports Saturday. It's your weekend stop for live and local sports talk. Reunited after a week hiatus or something like that. Mitch and Steve back in studio together. Too bad there's nothing going on this week. Absolutely not. You know, can we can we just talk about that for a second? Because, okay, peeling back the curtain. Yeah. We're not going to talk about the Super Bowl until the very last segment of the show. Why? And that, that basically emphasizes how... Little importance it apparently had to the valley this week. Am I no? Am I no. incorrect in saying that? No, a little too strong. I, I I I do think there is a level of importance. I think the level of importance throughout the week of the Super Bowl has been all the events and all the things going on downtown and all the things going on in Old Town Scottsdale and all the things sure, going on in Glendale. All that, all that good stuff. It's just we haven't had uh, the game yet. That's literally all that's left after today is to just play the damn thing. So from my perspective, of course my. My nine to five, or I guess my eleven thirty to seven, or whatever my hours job, technically yeah. are. My day job is to produce Burns and Gambo, the afternoon drive show, two to six on this station. Right. Do you know how many times we talked about the Super Bowl this week? Uh, not a lot. Next to none. Yeah. And granted, there's good reason for it that is going to be a dominant part of our show today. But it's a lot of times this week where I was like, "Oh yeah, the Super Bowl's on Sunday." Oh yeah. The Super Bowl's here. I was at Media Row on Wednesday, and that was another, oh, yeah, the Super Bowl's here, isn't it? So you've got all the stuff that's been happening with Media Row the last couple days Mm -hmm. on both of our stations here in the building. Uh, You've got the fact that ownership changed for the Phoenix Suns. That was huge. Yep. You've got what we're going to talk about here in a second, which is probably the biggest trade in Arizona sports history. You've got the WM Phoenix Open, which is going on, and maybe some of you are on your way there right now. Watching round three right now here in the studio. It's maybe the craziest week we've had in Arizona sports-wise since the last time the Super Bowl was here. And this, for some reason, this one feels bigger to me. You know it's crazy? It has nothing to do with the game. (laughs) A lot of this stuff is happening specifically here. Whereas, for example, last year, we still had the Phoenix Open. There was still a trade deadline. There was still a Phoenix Suns team that was on top of the world. There was still a Super Bowl. But everything's happening here. Literally everything. The Open. The Super Bowl. The Suns have a brand new owner. And, Steve, we've put it off long enough. They have a brand new superstar. Kevin Durant is officially a Phoenix Sun. There's so many uh, feelings. So I was at home uh, that day. I wake up in the morning. And my girlfriend, the first thing she says to me is, Kevin Durant's on the Suns. <laughs> and I'm not fully conscious yet. I'm not fully awake. So I'm like, oh, okay, this is a dream. Like, that's not that's not real. Yeah. Even though you and I spent how many months? Two, three months this past summer the talking about the possibilities? June. Oh, yeah. I mean, from the day that they lost to the Mavericks, we were just, how do we get Kevin Durant? How does this happen? How do we make it happen? Then Kevin Durant... Actually wants out. Actually wanted to come to Phoenix. And we were like, oh my God, this might actually be a thing. This might be real. And it didn't feel fully real until I woke up and he had been traded. 
And now I, I it, still part of me is like, I is there a way the league could like rescind this, like the Chris Paul Lakers deal? Yeah. <laughs> like, like this is legit, right? Like he's actually going to play for the Suns, which he won't until after the All Star break. So when I found out, I had, so I was watching something on the TV in my living area in my apartment, and I fell asleep on the couch, and I woke up, and it was probably around eleven thirty or so. So I was just going to rumble into bed, and I'm checking my phone, seeing the notifications. I have Mikel Bridges on my uh, fantasy team. Yeah. And the thing about Mikel Bridges, for those of you that don't know, you probably do. But if you don't know, he doesn't miss games. No. He had a, and he has not missed a game since his junior year of college. High school? High school. I got a notification that he is questionable. And I'm like, oh, hold, hmm, hold on. Hold on. Mikel doesn't miss games. What's happening here? And then I also found 10 unread text messages and five unread tweets that were messaged to me. I couldn't go to bed for another hour. Nobody called. My me. blood was rushing. Nobody texted that. me. What the heck, well, Mitch? That sucks. <laughs> Where were you, man? <laughs> it's okay. I was sound asleep by that time, but I wouldn't have seen it even if you had texted me. But what a thing to wake up to! So there's a lot of angles to this, right? But yes, I think I, plenty. Let, let's go back chronologically to the beginning. We now know, uh, mostly thanks to great reporting from Brian Windhorst and Ramona Shelburne Fantastic at ESPN. Reporting. They put together a great timeline of how this all came together, dating back to the summer. Because remember, a lot of this starts with Kyrie Irving wanting out of Brooklyn in the summer. Yes. And how he basically demanded a trade at that time. Didn't end up happening. Didn't come to fruition. Honestly, the Nets didn't have any leverage, so they couldn't get what they wanted I mean, out of that trade. They gave him the opportunity to find a new place. And he nobody could not find him. a new place. They didn't want to pay that money, so they kept him. He stayed. And the things being offered, we now know, uh, also thanks to great reporting from our own John Gambadoro, is that back then, basically now we know uh, in the Kevin Durant uh, pursuit for the Phoenix Suns, because I don't think the Irving stuff was super ever like gonna happen with the Suns. I think it was more him than us. Yeah, or probably him than them. Basically. But Durant wanting to be on the Suns. Now we know that back then the Nets were asking for the Sun, the Earth, the Moon, and the Stars. They were asking for four first round picks unprotected. They were asking for that pick swap in 2028. They were asking for Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, and at the time in the summer, James Jones said, "No, we're not doing that." That's too much. We'll either give you all the picks you want or a handful of players that you want, but we're not going to do both. We now know that that's what happened in the summer. And here we are. What is it? I don't know. Six months later, whatever eight it months. is. Eight months later. And they said yes. Well, they did the exact same deal. It's the same deal. I mean, plus Jay Crowder. So I think you and I both know what the immediate changing factor in all this is. Matt Ishbia. Matt Ishbia. Let's be real. We're not going to just spend the whole day bashing Robert Sarver because these past couple of years outside of the absolute terrible things that he did for the prior decade. And there were a handful of them. The past couple of years helped produce the team to the point that it is right now. Hiring Monty Williams, acquiring Chris Paul, and now eventually acquiring Kevin Durant. A big part of that was what Robert Sarver did the past couple of years. He's gone now. This move doesn't happen unless Matt Ishbia is in charge. You don't get that extra push. You don't get that extra shove. You don't get that extra approval if you don't have an owner who just paid $4 billion for a franchise and is willing to spend a little bit more for a generational talent here in the Valley. I will admit, in reading the Windhorst uh, Shelburne piece on ESPN, which you should all check out, I think it's great reporting, uh, it makes clear that 
the end, the very last thing that happened is Ishbia is at dinner with his family celebrating that he just purchased the Phoenix Suns. But he, he can't stay focused. Uh, no, he's not time. focused because he's got this thing going on behind the scenes where they're trying to get Kevin Durant in the first 12 hours of owning the team. He just did the press conference in the right. afternoon. And here he is at dinner where he's like, ah, I'm going to try to get Kevin Durant, possibly yeah. one of the best players that ever played the game of basketball. And what's made clear to me is that the Nets came back at the last second and pulled a Kevin Costner from draft day where he's like, oh, uh, I also want that other player. I also want Jay Crowder on the deal. Mm. That's not the deal. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Why are you throwing extra things this in? This is not what we agreed to. I think the Nets played this perfectly. Now, you could argue that they didn't get what you thought they would get for Kevin Durant. A couple of all-star players. Because remember, in the summer, that's what we talked about. They wanted multiple all-star level players for Kevin Durant and picks. And I don't think they got that. I don't think Jay Crowder or Cam Johnson is an all-star player. I'm putting that in air quotes. I think Mikel could be. He could be on that I mean, level. If you, if you think about it, the Nets are taking a big risk, too. Cam Johnson sure. is still a restricted free agent this offseason. He is. So you've got Mikel Bridges on a team-friendly deal. You've got four first-round picks. You've got a pick swap later down the road. And then you just moved off of Jay Crowder and acquired more draft capital, basically. Five second-round picks. In reality, all you are guaranteed for Kevin Durant is four first, five seconds, and Mikael Bridges for two more years. That is all you're guaranteed. Cam Johnson's kind of the wild card in all this. He can say yes. Brooklyn can offer the most money to him if there is an offer sheet put out there for Cam's services. But Brooklyn is taking just as much of a risk. And for a team that doesn't have their own draft picks for these next upcoming years, those belong to Houston, they also have to tread carefully. Because yes, they recouped some of their value, but they don't play well. And they're just helping another team out for their future. I get that. It's hard to look at the Nets a week ago and look at them now and determine, like, are they still good? It's hard because the level of players that you lose, right? Kyrie Irving, certainly a better player than Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith combined. But at the same time, like, those are two really good role players that they added. Two really good players. So, okay, maybe you could make the argument that they got a good deal that could keep them in contending mode. Then you lose Kevin Durant, but you got Bridges, who's a great player at the same position as Durant. Cam Johnson, similar position, does some certain things really well, like shooting in particular. I could make the argument that the Nets are just as good contending-wise now as they were with Irving and Durant. The argument just is you'd rather have the two amazing players than the four really good role players. Well, so when Kevin Durant went down, went injured, they were in the top four. Right now they're fifth. They're 33 and 22, six and a half back of Boston. I would have to imagine that their goal is just to remain within the top six. Then you're guaranteed a playoff spot. You're guaranteed out of the lottery. Yep. So you're not sacrificing good capital to Houston. And quite frankly, they've got a team that could do it. They just, you know, it's like Paul McCartney. They just got wings. Yeah. That's all they've got. So they've got a contending team, potentially contending team with good veteran players. I like that roster a lot. And they added to it. I realize they lost two megastars, but they added to their roster in a good way. And they added four first round picks and a pick swap and five second rounders. And I know you and I have talked before about second rounders. What is the value of that? There's really not a lot of good second round players. I don't think it's about who you draft in the second round. To me, and to James Jones and the Suns, it appears, second rounders are more about the player you can trade for. 
with one or two of those picks? Can you go and midseason add a Tory Craig role player for a second round pick? I think at one point they did move a second round pick in a deal for him. Uh, can you move two second round picks for the guy that you're trying to get before the buyout market hits? To me, that's what second rounders are valuable for. And they got five of them for Jay Crowder. I did not expect that, by the way. Last thing to touch on before we move on to our next subject. Um, at Suns on Twitter. At forward from Texas, 610, number 35, Kevin Durant. KD's here. He's at the Suns Performance Center right now. So Good. Feels real. It feels real. I'm not it gonna. Good. It's, it's not going to feel official to me until I see him on the court wearing a jersey. But yeah, touching the basketball. If, if you if you want to feel even giddier, go to at Suns on Twitter. It's he he's here. It's it's beautiful. Okay, it's I'll hit great. I'll hit you with this then. Okay, coming up next, who is the fifth starter? We know that Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and Kevin Durant are starting players on the Suns team. Who's the fifth starter? We'll dive into that next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Maybe you're on your way to the Open. Maybe you're already at the Open, just trying to find parking. Thanks for checking out the show. It's Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve with you, talking surprisingly little about the Super Bowl, but we'll get to that here in the just what? a few. Yeah, that is something that's happening this weekend, in case you forgot. Who would have known? Um, but with this Kevin Durant news, we were just talking a lot about the trade and you know how the, how this actually come together, how big it really is. One important thing that we haven't really touched on yet is uh, now that you have the big four, now that you have Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, and Kevin Durant. First, it's worth noting, they're not all going to play together for at least a little while. Not until after All-Star break at the soonest. Durant is still hurt. By the way, they were going to need to build chemistry regardless of a trade happening because uh, the team really hadn't at its fullest uh, played together pretty much all season. So right. not too terribly worried about that. But the question remains, now that you have a big four, who's the fifth guy that starts in this lineup next to a Kevin Durant and a Devin Booker and Paul and Aiton? So your options are Torrey Craig, who's been a starter with Cam Johnson being out, and he's filled a lot of holes. He season. just feels like the top option right now. Josh Akogi, who has played great. In recent days. A very good defensive player, too. I've been impressed with him in in his role. TJ Warren, who's now back because of this Kevin Durant trade. Nothing unfamiliar to Valley sports fans and even to TJ. Somebody who I always thought was good to get a bucket for the Suns. Granted, he he played here at a time when... He was their best offensive option. It was Booker option. and then yeah. Warren, and that was it. <laughs> right. So seeing him in a in a somewhat reduced role is interesting. And then I think he deserves to be at least mentioned here, Ish Wainwright. I don't think he's at why. starting level. Okay. I don't I don't think he's at starting level, but I do think that he plays an important role, and I hope he doesn't get washed into the background because of this Durant deal. That's the only reason I bring him up. That's fair. I don't think he's the starter. I, I definitely don't. If it's me, I'm going Tory Craig. Because of how much he's meant to this team this season, with Cam Johnson missing several months, uh, I think that he defensively fits the narrative. Because if you're going to have Paul, Booker, Durant, and Aiton, four really good offensive players on the floor, I don't think you need a great offensive player next to them. Only eight points per game this season, which, by the way, is a career high for Torrey Craig. Mm -hmm. He's also playing a career high in minutes at 26 minutes per game. He's also shooting 39% from deep. So if they're going to be drawing defenders 
Durant and Booker are drawing defenders and Aiton down low, Torrey Craig would be a pretty good guy to have in the corner. I think this decision also depends on just approach to the game. So there's two ways to look at it. Is whoever they're going to have start also going to be on the closing floor? Part of the closing lineup? Because you remember a lot last year, Jay Crowder would start, but then eventually he lost the closing minutes and they gave him to Cam Johnson because they needed the offense. Or if they really needed the defense, then they would go to Jay Crowder or they would go to Torrey Craig. In a situation like this, you have four lethal options, or three at least, lethal mid-range options. And then DeAndre Ayton has been really solid from the floor this year as well in bits and pieces. So do you want to start with a defensive juggernaut like Torrey Craig or somebody who can provide that defense like Josh Okoge? Or do you just want to add another scoring option like a TJ Warren or even a Landry Shamit? And just make it really, really difficult for other the opposing team to figure out how they're going to guard you early on. I think for me, personal opinion, I think that T.J. Warren is best suited to spell Durant or Booker. Not that he necessarily plays the shooting guard position the way that Booker does, but mm-hmm. just when you have one of your top scoring options off the floor, T.J. Warren's a heck of a one-two punch to have coming off of the bench. So for that reason, I wouldn't start Warren and put all five of them together. There may be times where all five of them are together. Would you close with Warren? Uh, Depends. Are you up or are you down? I guess that's the big dependent, isn't it? If you're down down single digits, then maybe TJ Warren's on the floor trying to get you some buckets and trying to spread the floor a bit. It was just one game, but the other night, I think it was against Brooklyn, Torrey Craig really, really struggled in the closing minutes. Like, Monty was doing a couple of rotations at every free-throw line opportunity, so Cam would come in, and then Cam would go out, and then Torrey would come in, and then vice versa. And Torrey really, really struggled in those clutch minutes. Well, and It I was think, brutal to watch. I think you bring up a good point, too, and I, I, I usually try to make the same, is that just because you start a game doesn't mean you finish, like you said, but also, too, like... You play the hot hand sometimes. Not yeah. every game is... I mean, Damian Lee was a closer... Day one, and then he won them right. that game against Dallas. It's not like a video game where, like, you or I might play the game and, like, okay, the first quarter's over, put the bench out there. And, okay, the second quarter's over, put the starters back yeah. out there. You know what I mean? Like, it's very rigid in that way. The real NBA is not like that. Monty Williams is going to play the hot hand at times. Uh, if you have, let's say, like a Landry Shamit or uh, Sabin Lee or Damian Lee come off the bench and they've hit seven three-pointers... You're probably going to play that guy in the fourth quarter at some point. So right. these things are all subjective. They can all change, obviously, on the daily. Now here's the wild card answer. Uh, the fifth starter is not currently on the roster. That's the wild card response. Now, it's obviously not a trade. Trade deadline's done and passed. So the team right. as it stands right now is the team as it stands right now. But there is the buyout market. And there are a couple of candidates out there that could easily slide into what is this missing spot. Okay, who are they? So what do you have right now? You have a point guard in Chris Paul. You have a shooting guard in Devin Booker. Yes. You have either the three or the four in Kevin Durant. More likely than not the four. Okay. And then you have DA at center. Yes. The immediate solution, if you want to go this route, if you're trying to choose a buyout candidate that is worthy of starting in that spot, Will Barton is reportedly being bought out in Washington. Now, there's the other side to this. Why is he being bought out? Why did Denver trade him to Washington during the offseason? 
why did he go from 71 starts a year ago to bench roll and now being bought out of a team that is outside of the play-in tournament right now? Like, there's there's questions you need to ask. And granted, the buyout market, it's probably going to have the Suns heavily involved because they do have a slot available on the roster. Will Barton might be a solution. He's not the best answer, though. Seven points per game. Sorry, 7.7. So let's call it eight. Let's round up because we're in America. Uh, (laughs) Three-point percentage, 38% from three. I like that. Here's the number I don't like. Two-point percentage, 39%. And his defense has been here and there. I know Kellen is a big fan of him, but as someone who has watched a lot of Denver Nuggets basketball in his days... Will Barton started to fall off towards the end. He started to fall out of favor. I suppose uh, you could make the argument that in a specific role where he's more of a three-point shooter and uh, he's not defending a key player, got to watch out for those pick and rolls, obviously. Mm -hmm. They have enough mid-range game. I mean, with Booker and Paul and Durant, those are three of the best mid-range shooters. Yeah, but somebody's got to shoot when they're not on the floor. That's the problem here. Right. So I don't love him for his numbers this season. He's got a pretty big drop-off, but it's a name. It's a player that's out there, and uh, they're certainly going to be active on the buyout market. Who Who else you got? Okay, how about someone the Suns might have some familiar with and has reportedly already been linked to the Suns? Reggie Jackson. He was traded from the Clippers to the Hornets. The Clippers got Mason Plumley, so they've added a guy behind Avita Zubats. And they traded away Reggie Jackson, who was losing rotation time. They moved off of John Wall as well. Like There was a lot of stuff happening with the Clippers and their backcourt situation that they're starting over, basically. They moved away from Luke Kennard as well. So Reggie Jackson became kind of a casualty, and the Hornets are reportedly buying, up, buying him out. And Chris Haynes of TNT says he's a favorite or have or the Suns are keeping tabs on him. And that would be with Payne and Shamit out right now, that would be a great backup point to Chris Paul. I love the fit. I think that they've needed a backup point guard. I I like campaign in spurts, but obviously he just hasn't been available. Yeah. And that hurts you. And they haven't really had that backup guard to bring the ball up. And and now that you have Booker and, and Durant coming it's a little easier to fill some of those gaps that are left when Chris Paul's on the bench. But you do need a backup point guard. Reggie Jackson, to me, what I remember about this guy is him being a pain in the butt for the Suns during the playoffs two years ago mm-hmm. against the Clippers. That would have been, was that Western Conference Finals? That's that 2021, yeah. Western I mean, Conference he was a pest. And I know that they had several pests back then. They had Patrick Beverly, who I think we might get to here in a second. Mm. Uh, but I think... Reggie Jackson was an offensive juggernaut in that series because, remember, Kawhi Leonard wasn't playing, if I remember right, and Reggie Jackson kind of went off. Now, also, too, again, looking at the three-point shooting, not great the last two seasons, but the year that I'm talking about where they faced him in the playoffs, 43%. So he's, at times, been quite the sharpshooter. So that's a name that really intrigues me. I like that one. I'm just going to throw out a couple of more. You mentioned Patrick Beverly, who is expected to be bought out of Orlando after getting sent there in a what ended up being a four-team trade that got the Lakers Mo Bamba. Danny Green is potentially going to be bought out by the Clippers. He's been out the whole year, though. He's a veteran, and he's got the big game experience, but it's been out the whole year. I Ter- love Danny Green back in the day. Terrence Ross, it was reported today by uh, Adrian Wojnarowski that he could be bought out of Orlando. Justin Holiday, who got sent from the Hawks to the Rockets, could potentially be bought out. And then there's the two wild cards, which... I'm just going to say right out, please don't touch these. John Wall, 
who was sent to the Rockets and is likely to be waived. And then Russell Westbrook, who got sent to Utah and is, who knows? Did Chris Paul and John Wall ever overlap in Houston? They did not. I didn't think so. Yeah, I've never been a John Wall guy. I'm just going to put it out there right now. I No. That's a, if I had my way, no. At one point in his career, John Wall was a great scoring point guard. I don't ever think he was a great point guard overall. And I don't think he did a lot of the, the ball movement stuff that's necessary. You had me intrigued with Danny Green. I know his numbers are super, not super great, but he, at one point in time in his career, was the epitome of the 3 and D guy. And he was a part of several really good deep runs in the playoffs. So that's a name that I'm intrigued by. Coming up next, why do the Arizona Cardinals not have a head coach? Well, the owner provided some insight. You'll hear what Michael Bidwell said next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Vareldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch Vareldis, Steve Zinsmeister, here in the Auction Community Studios, which, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, Steve, we got the new logo. On the back wall. The tarp guys came in yesterday oh, or two days ago. Oh, perfect radio. Yeah. Let's go stare at this so our, our listeners can understand what I'm looking at. Just kidding. The Arizona Cardinals, um, one of two teams that do not have a head coach right now. And we're starting to see some of their coaches of the prior staff go on to other places. Coincidentally, they all seem to be going to the Houston Texans. But... A good, lot, luck, good luck, Texans. There seems to be a lot of fan frustration, I would say, about why the Cardinals don't have a head coach yet or why they've had all of these possible options and they still don't have a head coach yet. Michael Bidwell spoke with the team's reporters, and he was able to confirm a couple of things. This is one bite. I split it into three things. So this is first when he was directly asked, what is the latest you could tell us on their coaching search? In the history of all Super Bowls, there's never been a team that's been doing a GM search, a coach search, and then hosting a Super Bowl just a few weeks later. So we've been really busy planning, but also we've got Monty as our new GM. He's been fantastic. He's been with us three and a half weeks. Everybody's working well together. You can already feel the new energy and uh, as he's restructuring things. So a lot of good stuff. So he doesn't answer the question, but he does give you an idea of kind of what he himself is dealing with right now. But then he was able to confirm everything that we had been hearing in reports. The update on the coach uh, search is that we have, um, for this week, we moved uh, three coaches to a final round of interviews and their second round. Uh, we've had two of those three interviews. Uh, Brian Flores decided to accept the position as defensive coordinator at the um, at, at, at the Minnesota Vikings. And so, but it's Super Bowl weekend. The entire NFL is focused on the Super Bowl. So we're going to pause throughout the rest of the weekend and, and get uh, restarted on this Monday morning. So he confirmed there were three finalists. He oh, confirmed oh, that boy. Brian Flores said no. He did not identify the two people he was interviewing, but we know through reports who they are. Right. Bengals, D.C., Lou Anarumo, and Giants, O.C., Mike Kafka. And then he confirmed that they're putting things on pause for the rest of the weekend. And this was yesterday. So yesterday, today, tomorrow, and they're going to pick it up again at the start of next week. So here's why that's weird. Because I understand that Michael Bidwell has Super Bowl obligations. When you are the owner of the team that's hosting the game, I get it. There's a lot going on. I understand that he's busy. I don't think that that was just uh, owner speak. You know what I mean? Like a way to put it off and a way to justify it. 
But here's why that's weird. You already hired your general manager. Yeah. What Super Bowl obligations does he have? None. Pretty much none. Because the Cardinals are not in the Super Bowl. Hate to break it to you. That's a good point. So, uh, and here's the other thing. Of the two candidates that remain, Mike Kafka and Lou Anaruma, both of them have been available to be hired for two weeks. Yeah, there was a bye week last week, I believe, where nobody was playing any football. So if you truly knew it was going to come down to one of those two candidates, now they may have hoped that Brian Flores would be one of the other candidates that would advance. Obviously, they hoped that, and he sure. chose another path. But he's been available even longer than they have. So right, that's not really a good excuse. If it really is coming down to Kafka and the Anarumo, you could have hired either one of them in the last two weeks. So that leads me to think one of two things. Either the Cardinals are not satisfied with the two candidates that they've come up with at the end. That they're like, I oh, man, which one do we really do we really want to go to this route? Is this is this the best we can do? Mm-hmm. Or and I think this might be possible. Is there a secret candidate that we don't know about? Okay, you say that. Listen to this cut. Tom Pelissero with the NFL Network was on with Bickley Murata yesterday. The focus is that he thinks the Cardinals would have had their head coach right now if said person he's about to talk about was available. But listen all the way through. My, my belief is if Dan Quinn had not decided not to take a head coaching job in this cycle, the Cardinals would have had their head coach a couple of weeks ago. Didn't end up playing out that way. And so, you know, they got Lou Anarumo talking to him today. Mike Kafka um, was there on Tuesday, or excuse me, Zooming on Tuesday because they're, they're back to Zooms here. And, and I know the Cardinals have you know been digging around on some of the coaches in this game too. And so we'll see, you know, how exactly they wrap up this process. So hmm. am I supposed to assume that they might not even be done? With this search. It's what I've come to believe. Because we all know at this point, it feels like at one point or another, the Cardinals wanted Dan Quinn, like he said. And Dan Quinn said, he seemed you know like what? their top candidate. I'm comfortable in, in Dallas uh, working with McCarthy and being under Jerry Jones. Mm-hmm. And I like it there. And I'm going to stay there. Okay. At one point, it felt like Sean Payton probably would have been the pick. The guy to fix Kyler Murray. The no-nonsense guy. The guy with a Super Bowl ring as a head coach. But then that doesn't happen because he goes to Denver. And maybe it's Brian Flores. He's got a decade-plus relationship with Monty Awesomefort, the new GM. He's got all these rings from his time in New England. He He's no nonsense as a guy. He's absolutely no nonsense. Kyler Murray ain't going to be yelling at him on the sideline the way that he did to Cliff Kingsbury. No, the one yelling, calm the F down, is not going to be Kyler Murray. And he chooses Minnesota to be a defensive coordinator, which, by the way, we talked about last week on the show as well. These candidates, when they interview with teams like the Cardinals, it's a two-way street. You're trying to learn about the candidate, but the candidate's trying to learn about you, too. And there's the always a chance. doesn't always have to say yes. There's always a chance that they're going to find something out that they didn't like. One time I interviewed for a job, right? And we got all the way to the end of the process. And the, and the company says, we want to hire you to do this job. Great. Cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. That's why I did the Absolutely. interview. I'm glad that I'm your top candidate. Right. They offer the job. And they and then they go to what essentially came down to the money. And I would have had to move across the country and all these things. And they said, We're not gonna help you move. Well, that would have been a that would have been good to know. Would have been nice. It was a detail that all of a sudden it changes the whole narrative. And I'm not trying to make this about me. The point is simple that candidates don't necessarily go into it already thinking, okay, if I get offered the job, I'm taking the job. 
sometimes you learn things about the company or the place you're going to that you don't love. And it feels like all these candidates found out things about the Cardinals they didn't love, and they were like, I'm out of here. We'll get deeper into the idea of why are people saying no, but it's rather alarming just in general that they can't land any of the people that they seem to be favoring, right? I mean, they couldn't even get the general manager that they wanted most, right? Reportedly. So I like what you brought up with the whole, we're putting the coaching search on pause. Okay, but what is their general manager up to? Does he have to put things on pause? Like, Just because Michael is busy doesn't mean that the process has to stop. Like, Why does Michael need to be necessarily fully in charge of whether or not they're going to keep talking about it? Like, Why can't Monty Austin Fort be the one speaking with the majority of these head coaching candidates? And maybe he is at this point. In the follow-up interviews. It was never really made clear either. If you think back to that introductory press conference, it was never really made clear as to whether or not Monty Austinfort would have the complete reins on choosing the next head man. But at the same time, isn't that what kind of got us in this mess in the first place? Because Michael Bidwell or Steve Keim, whoever it was at the time, decided that they need to be more involved with the decision. And when they brought in Cliff Kingsbury... They decided, well, you're a first-time head coach, so let's bring in someone who's going to have the head coaching experience and help you out on your opposite side. And they brought in Vance Joseph. Are they doing the exact same thing this time around, and that's why we can't make any progress with this? Well, and part of what confuses me is if you're truly going to hire either Kafka or Anarumo, who have been available to be hired for two weeks, you really put yourself behind the eight ball by waiting because now other teams are snatching up coaches that already were here under the Cardinals. You mentioned uh, Cliff Kingsbury has interviewed with the Texans for the, their OC job. He found a ticket back from Thailand, as Matt, it turns out. Matt Burke, who I think was defensive line coach. Now he's the D.C. in Texas. Houston. Uh, with the Texans, yeah. Yes. So you're losing coaches already. Some of the better candidates that you've had that maybe you wanted to consider Brian Flores for your D.C. job. Maybe Vance Joseph is still the D.C. when all is said and done. But you better hurry up and figure that out because the longer you wait to hire a head coach, the longer, uh, the less candidates you will have for your staff underneath that head it's coach. It's a competitive balance. You want to take the time to get it done right but if you wait too long, you're going to miss the boat and you're going to fall off into the water. And right now, I feel like the Cardinals are trying to keep their balance while hanging on on the edge of the dock. I think and they're about to fall in. I think there's a mystery candidate. Oh, I think it's going to be Eric Bieniemy. No! I think they're going to want to interview him. I would. You've also got Shane Steichen and Jonathan Gannon with Philly. Well, But also, like if you're going to put out the wide net that... Bidwell has been talking about. We're going to cast a wide net, right? Why would you not want to interview anybody from the two teams in the Super Bowl? No, 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 no. Why are you announcing that you have final interviews or your final round? And Before then the now Super there's Bowl? a report from a very trusted NFL Network individual who says that they've been doing their research on these coaches as well. Oh, I'm sure they've So are you in your final it. round or not? I'm sure. That's what I want to I'm know. sure they've looked into these Super Bowl coaches, but... Is that why they're putting it on a hold? Because they realize, oh, maybe we need a couple extra candidates in the final round of this process. And at this point, you're one of two teams that doesn't have a coach. And I'm pretty sure that the Colts are just putting off hiring Jeff Saturday. Like, I'm pretty sure that's happening. And they're just embarrassed by it. God, I'm more curious which ownership is more embarrassing to their fan base right now. I'm kind of wondering that. Coming up next. So the Suns, of course, made the biggest splash of the NBA trade deadline. 
But that doesn't mean that the other team stood pat around them. Where do the Suns stand now after the deadline? We'll get into it next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, you got Kevin Durant. Now what? When? That's what. So Kevin Durant's still injured. He's not going to be back till after the All-Star break. So we do kind of have to pump the brakes a little bit on the excitement. I know that they posted a, uh, a picture of Kevin Durant at the facility today. The whole video. And a little slow-mo walking out onto the courts video. I swear to you, I just went on Twitter during the commercial break, and the first eight tweets that I passed were people retweeting that. And just saying, like, let's go, or this is real, I can't believe I'm awake, Uh, all those types of things. (laughs) And uh, let's be real. The Suns are fifth right now in the Western Conference standings. They're eight games out of first behind the Nuggets, uh, but they just firmly planted themselves into championship contention. Their odds have shot up tremendously. Oh, dramatically. Um, if you were just, able to get the Suns before they traded for Durant, like to win a championship, oh. Like, good on you. They, they haven't done anything yet, to your point, but good no. on you, because the odds, they're now the favorites to win the West, Yep. and I think they're the top, or the third highest uh, or shortest odds to win it all. Which, you know, was not the case before the Durant trade. Um... You've still got to worry about some of the teams in the East. I think a lot of people still think that the East has the the stronger teams. Like, you've got Boston, you got Milwaukee, you got Philly. Except the Suns beat Boston last week. So. Right. <laughs> but Boston's also the team that drowned them by, like, 50 at home. So let's talk about the West real quick. Okay. And what else happened at the trade deadline, and whether or not other teams put themselves in a better position like the Suns did. Can I go in order from the top of the go standings for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did Denver do? Um, they added Thomas Bryant. They added Thomas Bryant, and then they traded away at Bones Highland. And if anybody's confused about that, then you just have to read up on it. There's a reason why he's no longer with that Eric team. Ruby and I talked last week about Bones Highland possibly being a fit for the Suns. Um, obviously, that just didn't come to fruition. But yeah, I mean, like look, you mentioned, it's a good player that was, was available. Two, two second-rounders, I think the Suns could have afforded that. It's possible. you got shooting. you got ball handling. Clearly, the Nuggets were looking for something specific in return, though, and they get a backup they center. They did get a backup center in Thomas Bryant, who apparently was complaining about his playing time in L.A. Yeah. and You take prob- two disgruntled pieces and trade them for each other. Probably for <laughs> Bryant's sake, him getting out of there was probably the best thing. And now you get to play behind Nikola Jokic, so right. good for you. Memphis, they got Luke Kennard. Not a bad um, shooter. Um but they didn't really do anything else. What's interesting is uh, reading about how interested the Grizzlies were in Kevin Durant. And they should be, by the way. Of course. They had the assets to trade it as well. I I kind of understand why Durant would never want to go to the Grizzlies. Uh, playing with John Morant and Desmond Bain certainly sounds like a heck of a, you know. Th- it sounds fun. Yeah, it but- would be a great offensive team for sure. But does he want to live in Memphis? I don't know. I don't know. I doubt it. I don't know much about Memphis, but I know Nashville is the is the uh, party town. It's the same argument with New Orleans, right? Like New Orleans could have easily made that kind of a trade, but oh, I'd love to. Does KD want to stay in New Orleans for the next three years? I would. Well, you, I would love. To you live and New I Orleans. are people that probably enjoy the splendors that are New Orleans. But you know, you can get jambalaya at like fast food is restaurants. Is KD that in New person? Orleans? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Sacramento Kings. Didn't really do much either. I no. think I only saw their name attached to a Kessler-Edwards move, and that seemed more like a contract eat anyway. 
Yeah, I so think they the Kings. Really do anything. If I'm the Kings, I'm more focused, uh, less focused on acquiring more star talent because I don't know if they have the assets to do that without giving up the players they already have. Uh, and I'm more focused on staying in the like three to seven seed range. Sure, that's what I'm focused on if I'm the Kings because that is how pitiful the organization has been over the last two or three decades. I'll so just, you're just focused on staying in the playoffs. I'll just say this: they're going to make the playoffs this year. I don't think this is their year, though. They've clearly figured out the perfect complement for De'Aaron Fox, though, who they signed to a max deal before last year, and then eventually they traded away Tyrese Halliburton for DeMontis Sabonis, a bunch of other players, too. But Sabonis and Fox really complement each other well, and I think that's going to be an interesting offseason team. The Kings. I don't know how much noise they're going to make in the postseason, though. This year, the Kings could be kind of like the Pelicans last year. Where, yeah. yeah, they lose to the Suns in the first round, but man, was that a fight. Mm-hmm. And they're starting to figure it out. I know they're also like five seeds ahead of the Pelicans. They're like, Steve, they're better than the Pelicans <laughs> already. But I think the Pelicans, a lot of that has to do with when all their players are healthy. I think they're a much better team than the Kings. Now, here's where movement starts to happen. So you have Dallas 4, Phoenix 5, Clippers 6. Okay. Dallas got the ball rolling. They sure did. They got Kyrie. They traded away Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith to get Kyrie. But they've won now their first two games with Kyrie, and they've produced their highest scoring first quarters now with Kyrie on this team. And they've won three straight without Luka Doncic as well. Yeah, and I got to tell you, the Mavericks uh, certainly at their best when they have that one-two punch with Doncic. And I think they've been missing that ever since Jalen Brunson left in free agency. Because watching, I mean, particularly I was at that game seven. We've talked about that a lot. But that whole series, Jalen Brunson could get a bucket whenever he wanted. Let alone game seven when he dominated alongside. Parlayed that into a great contract with the Knicks. And now look what he's doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good for him. But at the same time, like if you're the Mavericks, you've been missing out on that ever since he left. So Kyrie Irving is the perfect fit for the Mavericks. Uh, I think he fits. For some reason, he just fits Dallas and the state of Texas perfectly. For now, oh, until he doesn't, you 100%. know, like a week from now, probably, uh, when he's going to light something else on fire. <laughs> but I think that the Mavericks did everything they needed to do to get better. I'm interested to see the Kyrie and Luka pairing. Two of the better ISO players oh, yeah. in history. All right, run through these other ones quickly. So we obviously know what Phoenix did. They got Kevin Durant. That's and Kevin Durant's going to be off. here for the next three years. Yeah, it's the biggest move of the season. Clippers, they did a, some retooling with their bench, mostly. So they got off of John Wall. They got off of Reggie Jackson. They've brought in Mason Plumlee to now be their backup big. They brought in Bones Highland. And they brought in Eric Gordon, who had been talked about for years to get out of Houston. Now he's finally out. So they've redone their backcourt and their backup big. And I don't know if that helps them because you've still got massive question marks around Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, who are the stars that drive that team. But they've got some nice compliments. It's just they, they have not had a good rhythm. The Clippers will forever, to me, as long as this is the core makeup of their team, that's always going to be about, okay, are they all playing? Yeah. If they're all playing, they're dangerous to anybody. Absolutely. Uh, but they just, they're never all healthy at the same time. And and you know what? I don't want to like put any bad juju on the Suns, but they haven't all been healthy this season either yet. So I'm not ready to declare the Suns the champions of the of the Western Conference yet. And then as far as other teams that added... Uh, Golden State, uh, this one's actually kind of in hot water right now. Gary Payton II was going to make a reunion in a trade out of Portland. He failed his physical, so there's a chance that that trade gets undone, and that was a four-teamer, so there was a lot of moving parts in there as well, including Atlanta and Detroit. 
New Orleans, I don't recall them doing too much. Minnesota has brought in Mike Conley yeah. as part of the three-team trade that got the Lakers everything that they got. And then Russell Westbrook is now in Utah. So you've got Mike Conley back with Rudy Gobert and Kev- and Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards. I think the Timberwolves are going to sneak up on some people. I think they figured out exactly what they need to do, and part of it was getting rid of D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, you know there was that narrative around Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, and Devin Booker for so long that the three of them wanted to team up at some point in their careers. Right. Not only did the pairing of Russell and Towns just get split up. Booker never wanted to leave. Booker now has Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, and Kevin Durant. It's amazing what Wouldn't happens Wouldn't you say you that uh, he got the better end of the deal? And then the Lakers, they did the massive overall. They got D'Angelo Russell. They got Jared Vanderbilt. They got Malik Beasley. They got Mo Bamba. I like what they did. I like what they Problem did. Problem is, they're a 13 seed. They're a, they're like two and a half games out of the first play-in spot available to them. Now, it is still, that's where kind of the parody ends in the Western Conference. The Spurs and the Rockets, they're out of it. They're just too far back. They're like 25 games back. The Lakers are within five games of the Suns. So even though they're the 13 seed and the Suns are fifth, Five games is not insurmountable, so I guess the Lakers do have an outside chance of being a playoff team, um, but man, they're getting way too much coverage right now. I know LeBron just broke the scoring record, but like, no, I let's agree. be real. The Lakers did some nice things at the trade deadline. They're not a contending team. So it'll be interesting to see how the Suns stack up, but everybody's making them the favorite right now in the West. It'll be interesting to see how things play out these next couple of months. Coming up next, Wednesday morning, you're introduced... And by Wednesday evening, you're a hero. Matt Ishbia, next on Arizona Sports Saturday.